Joel kicked us off last week with our Ezekiel series. I can see how excited that you all are. Okay, well, no, no, no. I am here for you, okay? I got to give you a little of my backstory with this, okay? I lead the Bible tribe, and this is a group of friends, and we read the Bible all the way through together every single year, uh, from the beginning to the end. And every year, I there are some parts that I just can't wait to get to. I mean, I love them. I love to share them and talk about them. Like, I just, ooh, some parts are just like that. And then some parts I dread because there are some really painful stories in the Bible, right? And there are some parts I wish I could just read with my eyes closed, like all the parts about infectious skin diseases. Come on, I'm sorry. I could do without all of that, okay? And then there are the prophets. Between us friends, I just try to plow through it, okay? I do. I know. I, I try to just tolerate the really trippy, wild parts, and I try to sort out the history as best I can, and I, I cling to those moments that we get a beautiful poetry and promises, and then I just keep on moving. We just got to keep going. So, um, I, I, but I don't want you to, I, I, don't, I don't want you to misunderstand me because maybe you don't know who I am and whatever, but listen, I love the Bible. And if you know me, you know that I am a huge Bible nerd, okay? It's not that I just like skip, it's just the prophets are not my sweet spot. I don't know if you have noticed, but there is a lot of gloom and doom in there, okay, y'all? I have smiley faces on my fingernails, okay? I mean, this is who I am. I am not built for gloom and doom. So please imagine my face when the teaching team decided that our light and fun summer series was going to be on Ezekiel. But I take my job very, very seriously. And I always, I guarantee, 100%, I always preach to myself first. So I sucked it up and I dug in deep. And for the past couple of months, I have lived and breathed this book. My friends will tell you, I've been obsessed. They will be glad when this is over because this is all I'm talking about. Because, you see, I had to do more than just plow through it. I can't phone it in. I cannot do that if I'm going to stand up here and talk to you all about it. So I studied hard. And a funny thing happened. <laughs> I don't know. Somewhere along the way, kind of fell in love with this guy and his story. I don't know when it happened. I don't know how it happened. But in the end, it spoke to me. And it, it moved me in a way that was, well, I never would have imagined it. And that is what I would like to share with you today. Now, if you... If you came here expecting a deep dive into the historical and cultural and symbolic stuff, you are 
probably going to be a little disappointed. I will be happy to point you to some really, really good resources for your personal study time, okay? But for today, if it's okay with you, I would really like to keep it simple and share the heart behind this book. Are y'all good with that? Okay, so that's what we're going to do. And, you know, as I was going through all this, personal growth, I, I think part of what makes reading the prophets so challenging is, besides the gloom and doom, is the way that we read it. Like Joel said, there is a big difference between something that's preserved for us and something that's written to us. A lot of that symbolism is weird and trippy to us, but it would have made perfect sense to the original audience because their worldview, their mindset, their cultural references, so different from ours. And you can spend a lot of time trying to unpack that. You will go down some very interesting rabbit holes, I assure you, and you will learn a lot. And that's, that's one way that we can read these books. And then some people read the books of the prophets like a magic eight ball. And they use them to try to predict the future. Now, unless you are an actual prophet, <laughs> you're on a slippery slope, okay? Like, outlook, not so good. That's not what it's for. But here's the deal. Sometimes we can get so lost in trying to figure out what all that stuff means. You, you get lost in the details and you miss the actual message. As confusing as the prophets can seem, the message is always simple. You can usually boil it down to one word. Repent. Well, no wonder we get lost in the details, okay? As a distraction. We do not like that word. That is a very churchy word you see on signs held by people who are usually yelling at you. We don't like that word, repent. But listen, repent, it just means to turn around. It means to change your mind or your purpose. Well, come on, we can understand that. That's easy. So if we can understand that, that means we can understand the most important parts of Ezekiel. Now, in case you weren't here last week or if you need a little refresher, let's do a recap. Ezekiel lived in Jerusalem. He spent his whole life training to be a priest. But everything got turned upside down when the city was attacked by the Babylonians. And Ezekiel and his family were taken in the first wave of prisoners to go live in exile in Babylon. Now they had already spent five years in this refugee camp when this story opens. And the story begins on Ezekiel's 30th birthday. The day he would have been officially installed as a priest in Jerusalem. A day he would have dreamed about and planned for. A day for celebration. And instead, he found himself 
sitting next to an irrigation ditch outside a refugee camp. Happy birthday to you. And then all of a sudden, he saw a huge storm coming, and he was swept up into a vision. And Joel showed us a really trippy video of what that an artist thought maybe that kind of looked like. But the, the, what that means in a nutshell, it represents God's complete authority and power over everything and anything. It means he can come and go as he pleased, and, and he is the supreme authority. And it was the actual presence of the glory of God, which was known to hover over in the Holy of Holies, deep inside the temple of Jerusalem. So what was it doing zooming around Babylon? Well, the answer is heartbreaking. God's chosen people had sold him out. They were worshiping foreign gods with, ugh, you guys, terrible rituals and practices, some of which they were doing in God's temple. Cruelty and neglect had become the norm. Instead of seeking God, the majority of people were, they were pursuing their own wealth and power and desires. In short, the sheer fact that they were known as God's chosen people made it, they were dragging his name in the mud just because of who they were. And God was done with it. He gave Ezekiel a new calling, a new profession, that of prophet instead of priest. He had to tell the people of God's anger and that Jerusalem and the temple were going to be destroyed by the Babylonians. God even told Ezekiel that the people weren't going to listen to him, which sounds kind of hopeless. <laughs> but look how God equipped Ezekiel. This is one of my favorite things. I love the way the message puts it. God said if he sent Ezekiel to any other group of people, they'd listen. But it won't work that way with the family of Israel. <laughs> they won't listen to you. Because they won't listen to me. They are, as I said, a hard case, hardened in their sin. But I'll make you as hard in your way as they are in theirs. I'll make your face as hard as rock, harder than granite. Don't let them intimidate you. Don't be afraid of them, even though they're a bunch of rebels. God toughened him up. What a kindness. Seriously, he would have to do that for me too. He would have to replace my smiley faces with angry faces. I don't know. I would be a terrible prophet. But God had to toughen him up because for a time, until the people accepted this news as truth, God became their enemy. Ezekiel. He was ruined by this. He was devastated. He was heartbroken. And he was furious. He was furious because God was furious. Forget, forget being afraid of the Babylonians. They needed to be afraid of God because he was not, he was not messing around. And that is hard for me. Smiley faces. You know, I mean, I, 
I don't know about you. This might be hard for you too, but I think of God as a loving father and creator. And Jesus is so approachable, and you throw in the Holy Spirit, and you got yourself a love fest. So it's hard for me to think of God as the enemy. But see if this helps you, because it helped me. Let's see if this helps. I love my mom. I do. Oh, my goodness. We were the best of friends. But sometimes she scared me. I mean, she scared me. You guys, she was a no-nonsense, seasoned school teacher. And she was not messing around. I mean, she would come to me and she would say, Shelly. This room is a pigsty, and there is no reason for it. Now, I am going to the Piggly Wiggly, and I will be gone for one hour, and when I get back, this has better be clean. And so she would leave, and I would, you know, I'd pick up a few things here and there, pick up this book and a few other things, and then I would get distracted by the book, or a snack or whatever else I found on the floor, and I would just blow her off until I heard the front door open. Have you been there? And I heard my mom walking down the hall, and in that moment, she was not the loving mother who would move heaven and earth for me. Oh, no. She was the enemy. And you had better believe that I had the fear of Peggy Robinson in my heart, okay? Like, and then I got it. Oh. God's chosen people, they didn't clean up their room, right? They, they broke all their promises. God held up his end of the covenant, but they shattered theirs. So no, he didn't rush in to rescue them from their attackers. And that may sound harsh, but just because they were his chosen people, that didn't mean they got a free pass. But you know what else he didn't do? He didn't leave them to their own devices. He could have walked away and let them self-destruct. Instead, he left the temple he left Jerusalem, and he followed his people into exile. What kind of God does that? It is like punishing your kids and then sitting with them in time out. And this is where we pick up the story. After a week of sitting in furious silence, Ezekiel got another message from God. Son of man... I've made you a watchman for the family of Israel. Whenever you hear, hear me say something, warn them for me. If I say to the wicked, you're going to die, and you don't sound the alarm warning them that it's a matter of life or death, they will die, and it will be your fault. I'll hold you responsible. But if you warn the wicked, and they keep right on sinning anyway, they'll most certainly die for their sin. But you won't die. You'll have saved your life. In those days, they had those city walls, right? And they had watchmen who patrolled the city walls, walked around up on top. They had one job, 
to warn the city of danger. If they did and people ignored them, not their fault. They did their job. But if they didn't warn the people, then whatever happened in the city was on them. It was their fault, their responsibility. Ezekiel wasn't just a prophet. He was a watchman with a huge responsibility. So you would think that God would give Ezekiel the biggest bullhorn and the highest platform, right? Some loud way to get the message out. Nope. Then the Spirit entered me and put me on my feet. He said, go home, shut the door behind you. And then something odd. Son of man... They'll tie you hand and foot with ropes so you can't leave the house. I'll make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth so you won't be able to talk and tell the people what they're doing wrong, even though they are a bunch of rebels. But then, when the time is ripe, I'll free your tongue and you'll say, this is what God the Master says. From then on, it's up to them. They can listen or not listen, whichever they like. They're a bunch of rebels. The watchman <laughs> with the most important message was confined to his house and couldn't talk? What is happening? Did anybody else wonder? Well, I tell you what. God is getting the people's attention. He's drawing a crowd. They were already wondering why Ezekiel was silent for a week. They were already watching him, and now this? Oh, yeah, <laughs> they are paying attention. And then let's see, how do you deliver a message if you can't speak, most of the people can't read? Oh, I know. You act it out. And this is where... It seems like it gets a little weird, but the prophets did stuff like this all the time. You guys, it's kind of like um, street theater or performance art or, I know, the mud show at the Renaissance Fair. You know what I mean, right? Okay, it's this very simple, exaggerated acting because sometimes that really works. You know what I mean? I know you know what I mean. I'm going to prove it. Okay. Y'all know how to play charades, right? Yes? Y'all have to help me, okay? It's summer, I know, but help me out. You know how to play. We're going to play one round. We have plenty of time. Okay, now I need you to work with me on this, okay? I need you to guess. I need you to shout it out really loudly because I'm the only one with a microphone, so you're going to have to do something. Are you ready? One round, one round. I'm expecting expert level stuff. The category is warning signs that you might see. You ready? Four words. Feed. Bear, bear. Mm -hmm. Don't, feed the bears. Don't feed the bears. Very good. 
online campus. I don't know what you were doing, but we did it. Okay, don't feed the bears. I mean, you have to be like a little ridiculous and exaggerated, but it works, right? It gets the message across. And this was something that God asked the prophets to do all the time just because it works. So as part of my study, I read this gigantic book by this really top-notch British scholar dude. His name is Christopher Wright. And I, I got to read this little paragraph to you guys because it is so cool. He sets the scene. I'm not going to do a British accent. All right, you're welcome for that. Okay, but listen, listen up. This is so cool, you guys. He says, we shall need to find an unexceptional hut in the tattered camp of exiles at Tel Aviv. It may help to look for a small group of anxious neighbors and fussing officials gathered around him just inside the door. Inside, we shall find Ezekiel, alone except perhaps for his anxious wife. He sits there, staring at us in dumb refusal to answer all questions, refusing also to come out and join the other exiles in his day's work. Possibly, we may see in the dimness that he has even tied himself to one of the poles of his hut. Or has he been tied by some frightened neighbor? And he has been like this for a whole week. Suddenly, he moves to clear some space in the middle of the crowded room. If he can't speak, he can at least mime the appalling message forming in his heart. The drama is about to begin. The audience is small, but in a refugee encampment, the whole community will know before nightfall what happened at Ezekiel's house that day, and the next day, and every day for the next year or so. See, Ezekiel put on these performances day after day. Here's one. He, he built a little model of Jerusalem. Now, son of man, take a brick and place it before you. Draw a picture of the city Jerusalem on it. Then make a model of a military siege against the brick. Build siege walls and construct a ramp, set up little army camps, lay in battering rams around it. Then, then, get an iron skillet, place it upright, between you and the city, an iron wall, and face the model. The city will be under siege, and you shall be the besieger. This is a sign to the family of Israel. Day after day, he acted out the siege that was happening in Jerusalem, only he didn't have clay action figures rushing to the rescue. The city was being destroyed. Imagine if he had Legos. <laughs> Y'all know I had to look to see if anyone built one, a model of Jerusalem, didn't you? Do you want to see? <laughs> you do. Okay, look, check this out. This is with Lego, you guys. Uh, little tiny ones. Look, the temple and everything, and the wall. I mean, incredible, incredible. Imagine if he had had Lego. Now, I could not build Jerusalem, 
But I built an equally impressive teeny tiny community Christian church. <laughs> I know, I ran out of pointy parts for the roof. But look, here's my car. It is almost actual size. I drive a bug. And there's the comm in the back. And um, if you can see way back in the back, there's the student ministry having a bonfire. We're going to hope for the best with that. So, you know, and I mean, it seems kind of silly, doesn't it? Except for the fact that we pay attention to stuff like this. We really do. And I'm telling you, you walk by Ezekiel's hut day after day, and you got something like that going on, <laughs> you're going to look. Even if you don't believe him, you're going to look. It's brilliant. Other prophets were walking around spouting off everything the people wanted to hear, that they were going to be saved, that everything was fine, they didn't need to change a thing. By going completely against the grain with the message and the delivery, Ezekiel stood out. Maybe they wouldn't listen, but they'd watch. We always do. And he had several more of these performances that he did day after day. He, he laid on his side for days like a scapegoat bearing the sins of Israel. He starved himself by eating rations to show how the people were suffering in Jerusalem. He got a sword. I don't know where because he's a prisoner, but he got a sword and he cut off all the hair on his legs and his head and his beard. And he took the hair and he divided them into piles. And he threw one pile into the fire and burned it up. He took another pile and he scattered it all over the floor. And they took the sword and he chopped it up. And then he took the last pile and he went outside and he threw it into the wind. And scattered everywhere. And he was showing the people how they were going to be scattered and destroyed. And he took just a few small hairs and he carefully wrapped them up in his robe to show that God was going to save a remnant. I mean, it's pretty dramatic stuff. And y'all, he did some of these performances for 300 and 90 days in a row. The Oscar for longest prophetic performance goes to. Yeah, man, they do not give Oscars for this. No, this was gut-wrenching, life-altering work by a man who was completely changed by God. When Ezekiel finally opened his mouth to speak. Only God's words came out. He was the watchman set on the wall by God. Now the point of setting a watchman is to save lives. 
That's why Ezekiel went to great lengths. That's why God left his temple and followed his children into exile. God will go to any lengths to show his children they need to change their hearts and stop dragging his name in the mud. And th this is where, like, I know, <laughs> I know this wasn't written to us, but I believe it can resonate with us because God doesn't change, and we are not so very different from our ancient brothers and sisters. I can't speak for you, but I will speak for myself. Um, the Holy Spirit is often like a watchman for me. See, I call myself a Christian. I carry Jesus' name on me. His presence lives in me. I am supposed to look and act like him. So every time I sin, every time I make a selfish, hurtful, prideful choice, I take his name and I just drag it in the mud right with me. And this creates a, a, a disconnect between me and God. It just it gets in between our relationship. I've put myself in exile. But the Holy Spirit is my watchman. And he <laughs> points it out to me. He shows me. And sometimes I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear what he's telling me. I do not. <laughs> I have my fingers in my ears and my eyes closed. But he will go to great lengths. To show me. And it's not out of cruelty or vengeful. It's not anything like that. It is because he wants to take me out of the refugee camp and, and put me back where I belong, close to the king. Maybe the Holy Spirit is trying to get your attention too because something needs to change. You may already know what it is. You may be fighting it or you may be clueless. I don't know. But the wisest thing to do is ask him to show you, really show you. And then Take a deep breath and get ready. <laughs> but the answer, the answer is always simple. Turn around. Change your mind. You find your way to Jesus. You find your way to the king. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much. for being a God worthy of serving. We need you to be as strong 
and powerful and just and mighty as you are. Because we are so weak and insignificant. But thank you for not leaving us to our own devices. Thank you for being incredibly patient and loving and compassionate. Thank you for not leaving us to our own devices. Please show us what needs to change. Please help us to be humble enough to see it and to be humble enough to bend our hearts to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.